Let's go to sermon stuff. Um, This morning, Jesus is going to give us a very simple, two-sentence policy or system for managing relationships. But um, we have to actually do it. So, thinking that through, uh, there's a there's a pretty famous story told in productivity books, um, productivity books, productivity blogs, productivity podcasts. If you're into any of that stuff, you've probably heard of uh, Ivy Lee. He lived a hundred years. So this is a hundred year old stuff. Okay, the early 1900s. Um, he, Charles Schwab was building his steel empire. And um, he's still, Charles Schwab, one of the wealthiest humans uh, to have ever lived in terms of just like, you know, what it was worth at the time kind of of wealth. Well, uh, Ivy Lee was a business consultant and, um, uh, um, you know, business man of his own. And and he would go around and he would help people improve on their business operations. And so Charles Schwab brought him in. He was one of the best. And he said, will you sit with my team? Because even though Schwab was always very successful, always looking to better, uh, you know, his, his, his team and, and his business. And so he brings in Ivy Lee, says, will you, can you teach my, my people some stuff to make us even better? And he said, oh, you know, give me 15 minutes with each of your executives and uh, I'll teach him a system that I know will improve. And, and Schwab said, well, how much is this going to cost me? And uh, Ivy Lee said, <clears throat> said uh, well, nothing up front. Just how about in a few months from now, after they've implemented my stuff, um, then you just write me a check for whatever you think that my services were worth. And so they agreed on that. And, and Ivy Lee met with all of, of uh, Schwab's uh, executives. And he taught them this, this system uh, basically, uh, the night, he said, the night before, you go to bed, you go to bed tonight, you take an index card, and you write six priorities, the, the six things you need to get done the next day at work. No more than six. Can be less than six. No more than six. And you force rank them. So in order of importance, six things you need to get done, and then you just go to bed. Take the, work, take the card to work with you the next day after you get a good night's sleep, and you start with number one. And you work through it until it's completed. And then you cross it off. And you go to number two. And you work through it till it's completed. And you, you can't skip to number six. You can't get sidetracked in some other. You just number one until it's done. Number two until it's done. Pretty simple system, would you agree? Well, after a few months of using this incredible, you know, uh, scientific system... Uh, Charles Schwab wrote Ivy Lee a check for $25,000, which would be the equivalent of over $400,000 today. So basically 15 minutes in an index card was worth the equivalent of half a million dollars in productivity that he brought. So a very simple system, but probably when you actually get to the day with your six things to do, there were some times where that brought some pretty difficult things to stay on task to actually get it done. Like the real work is not in the system. It's actually doing the difficult work of getting the numbers done. Same thing. I mean, I've I've been this my whole adult life. Like I have been a little bit overweight my whole adult life, and I work out a lot for a fat guy. 
It's just that I eat too much. And so I was thinking earlier this week, uh, what, what's my problem? What's your problem, Alex? And I, I thought, well, you know, one thing is I don't like really listen to my body to eat. I listen to my mind. It's not like I'm eating because I'm hungry. I'm eating because my mind says, oh, Doritos. <laughs> um, and and I, I eat fast. That's another problem that I've just, I'm like Patrick Starfish, you know, like seriously, I, I eat fast. Um, and, and I eat until it's gone or until I literally don't feel good enough to eat more. And so I wrote down, and I write down every day in my little leadership journal, whatever, whatever that I have, prayer journal, whatever. I've written down every day for the past month. Haven't done it. Just write it down. I'm in baby steps, right? Step one, write it down. I I write six words. Uh, When hungry, eat slowly to six. When hungry. If you're not hungry, don't eat. Eat slowly, like, like maybe actually, like my, here's my baby step goal, to finish chewing a bite and swallow the whole thing before I start the next. Imagine that. And then to a six out of ten. Now, if I would do those, if I would just put those six words, if I would just do that, would you agree that I, I, I don't have to track calories, I don't have to you know, worry about so much like what I eat, um, I, I don't have to do anything weird, anything, that would probably work. My cholesterol would probably be better. My blood pressure would probably be lower. I'd probably lose weight quickly. I'd probably feel, feel better in my clothes and feel more confident. And all those good things would happen if I would just put those six words into practice. I have not really done it for a single day. It's simple. Simple. But hard. It's difficult. Um, we're going to see a two-part policy for relationships from Jesus. It doesn't get simpler, but it can be really hard when it comes down to actually implementing it. Um, It's a recipe for a drama-free life. It really is. Great things happen relationally if we will put Jesus' simple system into place. If you make this your personal policy, it will produce relational results and keep you from mountains of wasted like, you know, time with drama and stress and toxic relationships. Most people agree that it would, but never actually do the work required to see this through. Everyone says they hate drama. Everyone wants deep and meaningful friendships. Even, even introverts like myself, I want meaningful, deep friends. I don't want a lot of them. Like, don't get any ideas out there. I just, you know. <clears throat> but I want drama-free. Um, well, Jesus demands a no-drama relational landscape. Paradoxically, maintaining this drama-free lifestyle will lead you into dozens of painfully awkward conversations that aren't always fun. But if you're willing to courageously follow his advice without wavering, you'll enjoy all the credible, the incredible benefits of rewarding and lasting community. 
those awkward conversations will pave the way toward trust, admiration, and depth of friendship that will bring joy and fulfillment. You'll learn that awkwardness isn't the opposite of deep relationships, it's the price of deep relationships. So let's take a look. If you want to pull a Bible out from the, uh, under the row in front of you, love it when everybody follows along. Good old page uh, 696, or 9, 969. 969 is where we've been <clears throat> over the past few weeks. Matthew chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew. Now remember, overview, we said this is a Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are the cliff notes of the whole Bible. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, to follow God in a way that pleases him, if you have, what does God want from me anyway? Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that's your cliff notes. Like, we can read this and pretty much memorize this with just, you know, 15 minutes a day uh, worth of reading. Um, it's the essence of following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus... The Sermon on the Mount said. So, Matthew 5, 23, 24, here is this incredibly robust, complicated relational system to reduce drama and eliminate broken friendships. <clears throat> Jesus says, therefore, <clears throat> if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're in church, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with them. Then come and offer your gift. So, Jesus says, if you're at church listening to Alex talk, or in the middle of the worship song, and there remember that your neighbor's mad at you because you yelled at their kids for climbing your fence... Leave the worship service. Go and reconcile. Then come back and catch the closing of the sermon. Okay, that's, that is Jesus' simple system for drama-free living. Now, <clears throat> I say a lot of things up here. And a lot of the stuff I tell you, I will be the first to admit, I'm not very good at that. Um, a lot of times I feel like a total hypocrite, like an imposter, um, teaching what God says and knowing how I struggle with it. This is something that I have some experience with, that, that I feel like I've done pretty well with. I have seen this stuff, I, I mean, I'm a... Polaris, I've been, I've been a pastor at Polaris for over half of my life. And I have seen this stuff both produce incredible relationships. And I have seen when people don't do this stuff, and I've seen it come close to collapsing the whole church. I've seen it ruin ministries. I've seen people who love what they're doing in a ministry, but will not overcome relational stuff with people, and they will walk away from a ministry that they love before they just have a tough conversation and work things out. And when that happens, everybody loses. This is really important stuff. 
I've also seen, I mean, I, I'll never forget the time. <clears throat> I had talked about this, I don't know, 15 years ago. And there was a, 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 there was a, a gentleman um, with a thick English accent from overseas. And, and he came up to me a couple weeks after I covered this and, and this material. And he said, you know, I, I, I heard that sermon and I knew to follow Jesus. I had to go reconcile with my son who I hadn't talked to in eight years um, and, and he went, he, he flew him over, they reconciled, and, and he passed away, the, the, the man passed away within a month or two of that, but because he put this into practice, he was able to patch things up with his son um, before he passed away. I mean, how, how important is that? So let's, let's, let's get into this, and, and I'm going to say one more thing, and then I promise we'll actually talk about some substance here of what to do. When we talk about reconciliation, I say this because when I, when I go over this stuff, oftentimes somebody will come to me afterwards and say things like, well, I had an abusive uncle who you know, sexually abused me and I can never go back and make things right. I am not talking about that. I, I, am, I am not talking about the, the, the 2%, the 1% of the you know, illegal, immoral, abusive, like PTSD stuff. I am not telling you to run back into a post-traumatic stress situation and, and try to reconcile that. That's, a, that's top you know, for another day, another process. I'm talking about the 98% stuff, like the uh, you were too loud at the fire pit last night and your neighbor's mad at you kind of. I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, you got chippy in a meeting and now there's tension. I'm talking about the 98% of the relational garbage that we get into, the tension. I'm talking about that stuff. So like look at someone next to you and say, he's not talking about PTSD. Don't really do that. I just think it's really neat when pastors like, you know, they got their, they got their handheld mic and they look at someone sitting next to you and say, like, I just think that sounds great. I would never do that if I was in there because I'm, you know, I'm not looking to talk to strangers while I'm at church. But <clears throat> just saying, you hear me, I'm not talking about the really bad stuff. I'm talking about normal reconciliation. We're talking about practice. Okay. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled uh, to them. And then come offer your gift. So this was a religious-based society, a religion-based society. Religion was everything. The gathering was everything. Leaving your gift at the altar was something that these people did all the time. It was like paying taxes. So Jesus says, if you're right in the middle of the most important thing you can think of, and you remember that somebody has a problem with you or you have, there's tension somewhere, you go, you make it right, and then you come back and finish the very important thing that you're doing. So um, I'm going to suggest that you write the things down or um, take a picture of the screen. I wrote the, 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 this, the two parts of this complicated system are up here. Okay, here's part number one. If you follow Jesus, you are not allowed to ignore any reasonable rift for any reasonable reason. I have, this stuff 
works if you'll do it. I, I can tell you in my own life, I have been committed to this for the past 15 years, largely because I saw firsthand how dangerous it is if you're, if you're not. The mess that can make of things if you're not. If you say you follow Jesus, it is not just about believing the right stuff. It is not just about going to church. If you say you follow Jesus, that means you have to do what he actually says. That's really hard to take in. It's just a fact that that's what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus says that you have to make a priority of fixing your relational messes. So if you follow Jesus, you cannot ignore any reasonable, right, 98%, we're not talking about the two, 98% rift for any reasonable reason. Like, like you, you got to do it. You got to make it right. You can, and, and most people know there's some tension, they'll ignore it. Or even worse, they'll walk away. They'll just avoid. They'll have all these relationships all over where they just avoid the, you know, the awkwardness and they never mind for anything. They never go try to fix anything. They, they, just, they just let it go. And most people who say they follow Jesus don't do this. But if you follow Jesus, you have to. Now here is part number two of this incredibly complicated system. If you follow Jesus... You have to work through your differences immediately. I think Jesus understands, well I know Jesus understands because he's got the whole God thing going for him. <clears throat> when we leave time, our minds go crazy with speculation. Like how often you're laying there in the middle of the night and you're just, oh, they said this and they meant this and what they really meant is this. And it, you either get used to having the riff and never go back and fix things or, or it gets worse with your speculation. But, you know, Jesus says, stop what you are doing and go make it right. So again, if you follow Jesus, this isn't really like for you to even, like you're not following Jesus if you don't. If you let stuff go, or if you don't fix it immediately, you're not following Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, says when you have a problem with someone or you remember that somebody has a problem with you, you go immediately and make it right. It's really that simple. You go immediately and make it right. So some, for some of you, it's like you need your, you need your, your Ivy Lee index card and number one to six, and you got, you got six relationships out there, and you know, yeah, I got a problem with them, and they got a problem with me, and there's awful tension here, and you just need to one, two, three, four, five, six. You need to go have six difficult, awkward conversations mining for, um, you know, what went wrong, and, and, um, and, and so and this is where I would say... <clears throat> The harder truth, the more awkward truth within the awkward truth is I'm not talking about going to justify yourself. I'm not talking about going to win the argument. 
Because I have seen, and I know based on personalities, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Some people just cannot bring themselves to apologize or admit fault. They just, everything within them just... And, and so what Jesus doesn't say is, go and prove yourself right. So we have to approach this realizing that maybe, just maybe, we did something wrong. Maybe we misspoke. Maybe, probably, there's just a misunderstanding. But we have to go and work through those, not with the goal of the other person admitting that we were, in fact, right. But with the goal of genuine reconciliation, working through differences, tensions, hashing it out to the point where we can leave with an understanding and appreciation for each other. When we do that, here's some of the benefits. <clears throat> it will end most relational drama in your life. If you make it your policy, when you realize that there's tension, you're going to go work through it. Guess what happens? Most people stop talking about you. Most people stop running their mouth because they know that if you hear, you're going to have to go and they're going to have to face the tension and work through it. And so if it's not serious and if it's not true, <clears throat> they're not going to say it. They're not going to talk behind your back because they're going to know that if it gets to you, that's your policy. Sorry, sir, it's my policy. I, I go and I make things right if there's any tension at all. And that will end a lot of drama in your life. It will also deepen friendships because let's face it, most people are going to avoid awkward conversations and so they're just not going to have it. If you will go and try to work through differences and make things right, what does that communicate? It communicates that the relationship matters. If I don't care what motor motorcycle Dave here thinks about me, you sit up front so you're always the one that I pick because you're just like right there. Um, I, I, don't, I don't care what he thinks about me. I'm not going to go through a... And, but if I come and say, Dave, man, I know we were saying this the other night at Lizardville and I felt like things got a little tense and I just, I got to make sure. Are we okay? That communicates that the relationship matters. And so you will have deeper friendships. A lot of my deeper friendships have had those moments where it's like, dude, I didn't like the way that ended. Or more often than not, when you get in the habit of really doing this, it's like real time. Start mining for conflict. Real, wait a minute, that part of that conversation didn't feel right. Are we, we good? Did it? And so it, it, will, it will deepen friendships again. It'll deepen friendships if you're not just looking to win the... Because I've known people that are really good at like, you know, it's not about reconciliation, it's about being right. And you're just watching Bob and weave and rope-a-dope and, you know, do the Socratic thing and turn people's words around and, and, and they're not really reconciling. They're just trying to be right or not be wrong. And that doesn't fix anything. That just makes things worse. I'm talking about genuine reconciliation from a posture of humility and you'll be amazed at how it deepens your friendships and eliminates a lot of drama altogether. Now, let's say you don't know where to begin. Well, I don't even know what I would say. What would I do? 
<clears throat> how could I, where do I even start? Well, I'm going to give you a little trick of the trade here. Can I see the next slide? If you don't know how to start, just blame Jesus. Sounds, sounds bad, sounds like sacrilegious, but it's a great place to start. You just say, I'm trying to follow Jesus and learn what that means, and I know that one of the things that, that Jesus requires of me like to, to live out my faith, to practice my faith, is to handle all um, relational tension immediately. I have to do this, and I have to do it quickly, and I feel like things there's some tension there, or I heard some things about what, you know, some things that you'd said, and so I have to. I just have to, because guess what you do? So you're being honest, like to follow Jesus, you have to do it. So you just say, I'm trying to practice my faith, and I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know I have to do this, so um, what, what's up? What, where, where did we miss? Um, and you do that as a way to, to start the conversation. And a lot of times, uh, it resolves pretty quick, because a lot of times it comes down to just misunderstanding. I mean, think about that. You would otherwise never gain the mental peace of resolving the conflict, or worse, like just, I don't go around them anymore. And a lot of times, it's like, oh, I thought you said that. No, I meant that, or I misspoke a little bit. I'm sorry. That's not what I meant to communicate. And and it's pretty quick. But you got to get the process started. You have to do it and blame Jesus. (coughs) Or me. If you feel like you're not comfortable blaming Jesus, just say, well, I heard a sermon, and he said you had to do it, so here I am. One last thing, and that's um, um, just take it as far as you can because you may not be able to work things out. <clears throat> Paul, in, uh, in, in Romans 12, he says, in as much as it depends on you, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And so, I mean, Paul lived that out in that there were times where Paul, you know, was in ministry with people and they had to part ways because they just couldn't work through their differences, really. Like, it's a, you know, everybody's not going to be your best friend. There's still going to be people you really don't like hanging around with, and that's okay. But just in as much as it depends on you, you've done your part in trying to reconcile. And then if you can't, you can't. So don't feel like if, if somehow things didn't end well, if you went in... When you were committed to reconciling and you felt like you took a posture of humility, it doesn't mean you're, you know, that it's all your fault and you're just apologizing for stuff that you don't even think. Just if, if you did your thing to honor God and to try to fix the relationship, it may not work out, but you'll know that you've taken it as far as you can, as you, as you could. So basically, upon awareness of a relational rift, you have to seek reconciliation. You must do so immediately. Clarify, apologize, seek reconciliation immediately, every time, without fail. That is the simple Jesus system. That's, that's pretty practical stuff. Jesus always isn't the straightforward. Sometimes Jesus is, is slippery. Sometimes he gives things you have to mind for. And really, this is a pretty straightforward system. But it works pleases God so it's a spiritual win it deepens friendships it limits drama and bad mouthing and it results in improving relationships neighborhoods and organizations think about even from a business standpoint 
if your business, you know, people weren't allowed to talk about each other and get all catty and, and all passive-aggressive. It limits passive-aggressive behavior because you get called out. Wait a minute, that feels like there's tension there. What? It eliminates that, and then you can actually do things that matter without wasting time. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and call the, the band up for one last song, and I want you to remember that <clears throat> when you look at the Scriptures... God is a God of reconciliation. And it's good for us that he is, right? Like, I need for God to be about reconciliation if he's going to work through my garbage. But because we have a God who loves reconciliation, we have to be about that too. If it's a part of Jesus, it's something we have to get good at. And when we do that, Jesus says we're bringing God's kingdom to this world. Jesus prayed, uh, Father, may your kingdom come. And then he specifies what he means by that. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I want to see you know, followers. Jesus wants to see us doing things God's way here on earth. That's what it means to bring God's kingdom to this earth. And he prays God. May your kingdom come. And he tells us that we should pray that too. May your kingdom come. But if we're going to pray that, we've got to be a part of the answer to that prayer by actually doing things God's way here. So we're going to invite you to stand. During this last song, we are going to again ask that God would bring his kingdom here. But then we're going to remember when the song is over that we're an answer to that prayer by going out. And bringing God's kingdom by doing things God's way, which for you and me is going to, hopefully this week, mean we're going to think through some relationships that, that we, you know, some phone calls that we have to make and begin uh, putting that system in place. And then we'll get the benefit from um, actually following Jesus.